and welcome back to Hearsay, your local and student-run podcast on CJSW 90.9 FM. As always, Hearsay only provides legal information and not legal advice. If you require assistance, please contact a lawyer. We're here broadcasting from Calgary, Alberta, on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, home to the people of the Treaty 7 region and the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. My name is Brian, and I have the pleasure of introducing two of my classmates, Selwyn and Ryan, as they explore the surface of the Residential Tenancy Act and how it might apply to a lease of your own. Today, they're joined by Professor Jeanette Watson-Hamilton from our very own University of Calgary Faculty of Law. So let's just jump right in and see what they have to say. Welcome back to Hearsay. Today we are thrilled to be speaking with Professor Johnette Watson-Hamilton of the University of Calgary Faculty of Law. She has been teaching property law for many years, including on the landlord-tenant relationship, and she has been researching and writing on residential tenancies on the University of Calgary Faculty of Law's ablog.ca. That's A-B-L-A-W-G dot C-A. Thank you so much for joining us, Johnette. Thank you for asking me. So we wanted to start off kind of with the basics. When someone is entering a lease in Alberta, is there a standard form or are there any minimum number of clauses or inclusions that need to be in a lease? Well, in the province of Alberta, um, there is no standard form, uh, unlike some other provinces. Um, What you do find is that the bigger landlords will tend to have their standard form, like uh, Main Street or Broadwalk, um, they will have a standard form that they use for themselves. But there is no standard form, no minimum requirements. What we have instead is the Residential Tenancies Act, which I'll probably refer to as the RTA. Um, And it is the Residential Tenancies Act. Um, It basically sets out enough about the landlord and tenant's responsibilities that that's all you need. Um, In Alberta, you can have a lease, you don't need a written lease. Um, You can make an oral lease, you can make it um, by conduct so that it's implied like somebody just moves in and starts paying rent. Um, So no, there's no standard form. Wow, that's great. Um, If somebody wanted to, you know, Google uh, a standard form or Google kind of like the RTA or anything like that to find generally what a lease in Alberta would look like, is that pretty easy to do? If you were to to Google uh, the Residential Tenancy Act, um, I mean, the obvious place to go is is Canly, which is the the very large free database of Alberta laws, well, Canadian laws, including Alberta laws. Um, They won't actually show you what a lease looks like. Um, If you Google, you will find some really poor examples of leases that don't comply with the statute. Um, And they're mostly made for landlords. And I certainly wouldn't recommend using them. Ah, okay. That's good to know. So that kind of leads us into our next question there. What is the relationship between the RTA and a lease? Okay, and that's a really important question because not enough tenants know this. Um, the, the RTA itself says that a tenant cannot waive their rights and benefits under the RTA. Um, and if they do so in a lease, that it is unenforceable, it's void. Um, and it also says if 
there's any conflict between what's in the written lease and what's in the RTA, then the RTA prevails. And landlords actually have to put a sentence to that effect on any lease that they create. Okay, so um, a written lease cannot um, contradict the, the RTA, it can add to it. So for example, the RTA says nothing about deposits for pets, which means that a landlord's written lease can require a deposit for pets because it's just an extra. But if the, if the landlord's written lease said something like, um, the landlord can uh, terminate the tenant's tenancy on 30 days notice, um, that's no good. That's unenforceable because the act says something different. So then if somebody finds something in their lease that says something that contradicts the RTA, they know that it's the RTA that stands. Right. And there is a specific section in the RTA that tells them that. You mentioned that if there's a conflict between a provision of a lease and the RTA, that that provision or that clause of the lease is unenforceable. What does that mean? Well, it means that if the landlord were to sue somebody, say, on an unenforceable clause, um, let's say they tried to kick them out on 30 days notice instead of, well, three months or more, um, then the tenants, um, all they have to do is say it's contrary to section so-and-so of the RTA and you're done. That's the only argument you have to make, basically. So it's, it's a guaranteed winner for the tenant. For more information on leases and the Residential Tenancy Act, you can take a look at the Leases and Agreements resources put together by the Centre for Public Legal Education, Alberta. We'll drop a link to this in our show notes that you can find online later. So we've been speaking about some of these unenforceable clauses. Um, have you in any of your time working with clauses or with landlord-tenant disputes and the like, have you seen any really strange clauses in your time? I probably have, but I'm afraid I can't think of one. Um, I used to invite students to, um, to send me their lease, for example, um, because I had never found one that actually complied with the RTA. So, um, <laughs> and I did see some rather odd things. Have you seen some unusual ones? So we did, we kind of like took some uh, leases from other students in our class and some of our friends to see if we could find some. So we had one uh, term that said you're not allowed to have plastic plants on the patio because they attract insects. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, I think it's bizarre, but innocuous. I'm not sure it violates any type of law. <laughs> um, we had another one that said no flammables. No flammables anywhere in the apartment, like no furnace, <laughs> no, no boiler, no. That's a pretty ridiculous clause. I imagine they're thinking about barbecues, which do tend to start fires on balconies t way too often. Okay. Um you know what, that actually leads me into another question that we haven't had here, but um, say you have a barbecue um, at your place and your lease says that you can't have a barbecue, but your landlord does walkthroughs and says everything's okay and you're good to go. Obviously, they see the barbecue. In that case, can you have a barbecue or does the lease saying that you can't have a barbecue mean you can't have a barbecue? Well, under contract law, 
arguably the landlord going along with, with the barbecue once they see it um, is a waiver of their, their right to demand that you not have a barbecue, right? If they see it and do nothing about it, say nothing about it, and time goes by, there's a decent waiver argument. So what we're learning here is then that the written form of the lease, or if it's an oral lease, isn't necessarily the whole story. And perhaps it may seem that the tenant has some obligations that are not binding on them. But let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about those obligations that are binding, both on the landlord and on the tenant. So we've heard this term peaceful enjoyment thrown around a little bit. The landlord has an obligation, or I suppose the tenant has the right to peaceful enjoyment. But what does that mean? Okay, well, just to back up a moment, um, there are only three promises that the landlord makes that the landlord must abide by, um, and they're found in the RTA. Um, the first one is um, that the premises have to be available for occupation by the tenant at the beginning of the tenancy, and that is just obvious. Um, and there's, there's never any fights about that. It either is or it isn't. But the second one um, is the one what we would call a quiet enjoyment or peaceful enjoyment clause. Um, and there's two things that, are, that make it hard to understand that clause. Um, but it's an obligation that's been around for hundreds of years. So the idea... The idea is a peaceful enjoyment clause protects the client's exclusive possession. Okay, so it is subject to uh, that part of the RTA that says that landlord can enter a tenant's premises with consent or on notice or in an emergency. Okay, but subject to that, a tenant gets exclusive possession of their premises. It's their home. And that is what is protected by the peaceful enjoyment clause. And it says that um, neither the landlord nor anyone that the landlord is responsible for, um, anyone who claims under the landlord, so that would be their employees, uh, their contractors doing work, um, and most importantly, other tenants in the building, if it's an apartment building or something like that. So the landlord and anyone the landlord is uh, responsible for in that sense will not significantly disturb the tenant's possession um, is essentially what it means. So that means that the landlord will not, when the tenant is gone, will not use their master key to uh, sneak into the apartment and look through their drawers or something, which is something I've heard happen. Um, but it also, you know, that's a pretty obvious disruption of exclusive possession, but it can also go so far as to include um, the entry of smoke uh, through ventilation channels, um, could disturb exclusive occupation, um, noise if it is significant, prolonged, um, let's say it was outside the bylaw hours or outside the bylaw decibels, that could also be um, a significant interference with exclusive possession. Um, the landlord pounding on the door too often um, might be another example. So that is what that clause protects. And it doesn't have to be the landlord, it could be the neighbor. The landlord promises for themselves that neither they nor anybody else are responsible for, which is another tenant, will disturb um, that exclusive possession. 
So if you have neighbors that have parties all the time and they're up till two in the morning, that's technically the landlord's responsibility? Yes, it is. Um, but it is awkward to enforce because you're asking the landlord to enforce it against the third party. Of course, a good landlord will get, want to get rid of those tenants in any event. Um, and that tenant will have promised not to disturb the, um, the peaceful enjoyment of other tenants. So that tenant will be in breach of their lease um, and the landlord has the right to, um, to, to evict them on that basis. Interesting. Okay. So you can use that to force the landlord to act, at least in theory. Okay. Um, I have another kind of theoretical situation. What if it's something that happens in the street a lot? Like I know Calgary and Edmonton have experienced, you know, uh, loud cars a lot lately. And there's kind of been in the news about that. Um, say you live on a busy street and loud cars go by all the time. Do you think that has any impact on this clause at all? No, because the landlord's not responsible. Ah, uh, okay. That is not um, somebody who has a claim to the premises um, under the landlord. Um, they're in a public space. They're violating noise bylaws, probably, but they're not—they're um, not somebody that the landlord is responsible for. The tenant has sort of a a buyer beware when they go to rent the premises and should note that there's a busy road and things like that. Interesting. So what if it's something like paper-thin walls? Does the landlord then have an obligation to renovate the premises? No, um, because again, you take the premises as is, and they came with paper-thin walls, the landlord has no obligation to improve them. Um, this is assuming that the paper-thin walls mean that what you hear is your neighbor cooking and showering and things like that. The normal stuff, they're not doing anything. They're not in breach. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just living. That's something that the tenant um, either has to accept as is, or if it was really important to the tenant, they had to put it in their lease. Okay, that's really interesting. I have another one actually for you too, and it kind of goes off that buyer beware concept. I think that's a really interesting concept for our listeners. Let's say um, they move into a place when they look at it, it's you know pretty dirty and that kind of stuff. And then when they move into it, it's also pretty dirty. It's livable, but it's pretty dirty. Does that is that part of that buyer beware, or does a landlord have an obligation to give you a clean place? The landlord, under the third landlord's covenants that we haven't discussed yet, has an obligation to meet minimum housing and health standards. Um, but a place would have to be fairly dirty to get that far. The, the tenant really shouldn't be taking the premises if they're not clean. That should be part of the uh, part of the agreement, part of the lease. Um, that's why all tenants are required to to clean their premises before they leave, right? And then the landlord can take part of the security deposit if they don't and do it themselves. That might be a question of whether it's actually available for occupation if it's too filthy under the um, the first of the three landlord obligations as well. Right. Okay. Interesting. So that loops back with the landlord's first obligation then, which is making the premises available for occupation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that third landlord obligation? Yeah, the third one's the most interesting. It was new in 2004, and it basically says that the premises will be uh, habitable. And it says so by saying that they will meet at least the minimum standards 
that are um, required of rental housing premises under the Public Health Act. And so there's a document called uh, Minimum Housing and Health Standards, which is readily available by Googling. Um, it's an Alberta government document and it protects rental housing. That's what it's all about. It's very detailed. It's got window size, it's got um, railings on, on stairways. Uh, it's, it's very detailed about plumbing and electricity and all sorts of safety things. And it's all about upkeep and condition. So the landlord promises that the um, premises will meet at least those minimum standards. The promise is good, but the enforcement is poor. Oh, oh sorry. It's hard to enforce. Um, that's the problem. The tenant can't just say, well, these premises don't meet the minimum standards, so I'm leaving. There is no self-help remedy you know, in the Residential Tenancy Act. Um, it is a substantial breach by the landlord, and it's the landlord's only substantial breach is to fail to meet the minimum standard uh, promise. Um, so the tenant is entitled to, to get out of their lease, but only if they go to court about it. And the problem is in order to go to court and say terminate the lease um, or to get you know, part of your rent back, um, whatever it is that the tenant wants, not only does there has to be a breach of the minimum standards, but the tenant has to contact um, the people responsible under Alberta's Public Health Act. And that would be the Environmental Public Health Program. Um, you have to get a public health inspector out to your place and they have to go through it and then check off all the violations. They either condemn the premises, which means the tenants on the street immediately, or they give the landlord a long list of exactly what they have to do and they give them time to do it. So you can see if say the problem is a furnace doesn't work and it's December, but okay, it doesn't meet the minimum standards. You phone the public health people, they have to send somebody out, they give the landlord time, weeks are going by and you're freezing, right? So this is not great. The other problem, the environmental public health people in Alberta who do a great job, but they are responsible for food regulations in restaurants. They're responsible for recreational facilities like public pools. They're responsible for health in um, long-term care and nursing facilities. They're responsible for personal services like nail salons, all of that on top of rental housing. So you can imagine how many calls they're getting, especially during the pandemic now, um, because they're also enforcing um, those rules about capacity. Um, the other thing, what might be helpful to mention though, is that all of the orders made by these environmental public health officials are all available on the web. They're available on the government website. So for example, you can look and see every order made under rental housing. It will tell you the address of the place, tell you the landlord's name, it will tell you what's wrong with it. And when I checked yesterday, for example, um, just for the Calgary Health Region, there was 131 outstanding housing orders just in wow. Calgary.
That's definitely a good tip. So you should uh, you should do your homework then on the address and on the landlord before you sign your lease with them. Yes, and there are some repeat landlords on there. So you don't want to be renting from them, basically. So enforcement is a problem. Um, and let's say even if you do get the order um, from the public health official, and then the time goes by and the landlord hasn't done anything, well, now what the tenant can do is either serve the landlord with 14 days notice, or they can apply um, to court to, to terminate the tenancy. But if the landlord objects to the 14 days notice, then the notice is ineffective and you have to go to court. You've just wasted another 14 days sort of thing. Um, so basically, and then lining up a court date or even a date with a dispute resolution service takes more weeks. So time is going by and no plumbing or no heat or electricity problems are, you know, can you live there? So enforcement of that particular minimum housing standards provision is a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, it sounds like it. So do you mind if we walk through, let's walk through an example real quick. Let's walk through your example with the furnace. So it's the 1st of January and your furnace stops working. What happens next? Well, you contact the landlord. Ask them to fix it. Yeah, and ask them to fix it. They're required to fix it because you need heating. Um, yeah. And the landlord says, I can't or I won't. Okay. Whatever the case might be. So then you call or fill out the complaint form on the web for the public health, um, uh, the environmental public health program, um, and ask to have a health inspector come to your place. Okay. So however long that takes to happen, uh, they show up, um, they inspect, they discover the furnace isn't working. That's definitely contrary uh, to the minimum standards. So then they um, then they issue an order, uh, serve it on the landlord, give them however many days it is um, to replace the furnace. You wait till those days are out. If the furnace isn't replaced or isn't working, then you serve the 14 days notice to the landlord, say to terminate, uh, to, to let you out of there without paying rent because you're still paying rent this whole time. Yeah. Uh, you can't get out of that. Or you um, serve them with an order saying you're going to, uh, to court and uh, we'll be asking the court to terminate the tenancy and to give you an abatement of rent. Uh, the abatement of rent would be would be for the, the cold that you suffered, the fact that you didn't have a livable premise. Yeah, and the key thing is a tenant cannot withhold rent ah, just okay. because they can't live there and need, and need to go someplace else to keep warm. Um, they cannot withhold rent without um, a court order. And is that just for this circumstance or can a, can a tenant ever withhold rent? The only time you can withhold rent, and it's in the RTA, is um, if there's a written lease, the landlord has to give you a copy um, that's signed by everybody. And if they don't do that, you can withhold rent till you get it. But frankly, that's pretty silly. I mean, that is the only time you can withhold rent. Otherwise, you need a court order. So it doesn't matter how badly the landlord defaults on their obligations, doesn't do what they're supposed to, uh, the tenant cannot help themselves um, by withholding rent. That's something that I've heard people do 
Um, and I think that that's really good to hear for our listeners because that's definitely an incorrect thing that I think probably gets people in some hot water sometimes withholding rent because they think they have a right to do that when they don't. Yep. Uh, it is a common um, misapprehension. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if any of the other provinces that you know have uh, maximum increases in rent or rent controls in any way. Yeah, the vast majority of provinces do have rent control and do say something about maximum increases in rent. Alberta is unusual in that respect. Um, Alberta only controls how often the rent can be raised, but says nothing about how, how much you can raise it. If you have any questions about the rights and obligations between landlords and tenants, you can take a look at the rights and responsibility of landlords and tenants video put together by the Edmonton Community Legal Centre. Okay, so uh, on to kind of our, our next question here. It's a little bit on the same thing. We have read a section that kind of outlines a substantial breach by a tenant and then uh, an insubstantial breach um, substantial breach, I think, means that you can be evicted for something like that. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? What do you think a substantial breach is, and have you ever seen something like that? Well, a substantial breach by a tenant is defined as um, any breach of one of the seven promises in a certain section of the Act, right? So although for the landlord, the only substantial breach was failure to meet minimum standards for a tenant, there's a list of seven promises they make um, and a breach of any one of them is a substantial breach plus a breach, um, a lot of little breaches of things that are in the written lease um, can be a substantial breach. So let's say, let's say if your lease said that you have to shovel the public sidewalk anytime it snows within 24 hours and let's say you don't, or the tenant doesn't, and uh, especially if the landlord then gets a ticket from the bylaw people for not for no shoveling. Um, if that happened repeatedly, then that would be a substantial breach. It's um, it, it's a breach of what's in the lease. So there are a lot of ways a tenant can be in a substantial breach. Um, in terms of what's in the act, um, the first thing a tenant promises is to pay rent when due. Period. We've already discussed that. So that is the most common reason for a landlord looking to evict a tenant is uh, not paying rent. Um, but they also promise, um, well, they promise that they will not substantially interfere with the rights of the landlord or other tenants, which we've already discussed in the context of the landlord's promises. Uh, they promise that they will not um, do anything illegal in the rented premises. They won't endanger any people or property um, in their place or in the common areas. They won't damage the premises or the common areas. They promise they will keep the place in reasonably clean condition and not, do, not doing so is a substantial breach like everything else. And they promise to vacate at the end of the tenancy. So there's a lot of ways a tenant can be in substantial breach, which does allow the landlord to give them um, varying lengths of notice to leave um, or to go to court and get them to leave. There's a lot of different things a tenant must do in order not 
to um, be liable to have their lease terminated, the landlord only has to maintain minimum housing standards. I hate to cut it short, but it seems like that's all the time we have for today. Ryan, Selwyn, and Professor Jeanette Watson-Hamilton covered a lot of ground today on the Residential Tenancy Act, but there's a lot more we can cover. If you need any clarification or help, there's a lot of resources available online. For any other general questions you might have, you can always check out the Residential Tenancy Act Handbook by Service Alberta, the Guide to Law of Landlord and Tenant by the Student Legal Services of Edmonton, and finally www.landlordandtenant.org. Just give any of those a quick Google search and you should be able to find them pretty easily. Alternatively, we'll try and post these links up online once the show goes up. As a word of caution, just make sure that all the resources that you do find online are Alberta specific because the rights and responsibilities in residential tenancies can vary province to province. We hope you get to tune in next time for part two as we discuss the topic of dispute resolution services for landlords and tenants and what you can expect if you need to use them. Hearsay is a proud part of the Pro Bono Students Canada Association, and we'd like to give a special shout out to CJSW 90.9 FM for hosting us. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>